would bring it back to my experience in the hospital with the COVID, thinking about why has the Lord called me here to Ethiopia? Why has he taken my wife to serve in Ethiopia and then for me to lie in a hospital bed and potentially die? But I think about, for me, knowing that there was a purpose for us to be here, to be able to push through some of the challenges as early as it was in our mission field, and to be able to embrace every opportunity as a learning opportunity and to submit cheerfully. And taking that approach has just unfolded miracle after miracle, experience after experience, lesson after lesson, that has helped to refine us and helps to become closer to the Saviour as we represent Him in His great work here. I'm Sarah Jane Weaver, editor of The Church News, and welcome to The Church News Podcast. We are taking you on a journey of connection as we discuss news and events of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Ethiopia's national capital and largest city, Addis Ababa, hosts the new Ethiopia Addis Ababa mission for The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was announced in November 2019 and opened in July 2020. President Robert Dudfield and Sister Doris Dudfield, the first mission leaders in the new mission, join this episode of the Church News Podcast to talk about missionary work in Ethiopia and all that has impacted it in recent months, the pandemic and now civil unrest. With their missionaries, President and Sister Dudfield were temporarily moved to Kenya from Ethiopia in November. The couple, from Melbourne, Australia, are familiar with church service. President Dudfield is a former Area 70 and served as the Australian National Communications Director for the church. They are connecting with us despite a 10-hour time difference from more than 9,000 miles away to share their unique experiences via technology from Kenya. They are each a living testimony that the Lord's work moves forward despite obstacles and setbacks and because of great faith and optimism. Welcome, President and Sister Dudfield, to the Church News Podcast. It is so great to have you with us today. Great to be with you. Thanks, Sarah. Well, President Dudfield, why don't we just jump right in and and have you tell us a little bit about your mission and your current assignment. Sure, I'd love to. So uh, why don't I start with the actual receiving of the mission call, but that was quite a unique experience for us. What happened was we received, uh, first of all, an interview with Elder Cook just to see what our circumstances were and if we were called to serve as mission leaders that would suit our current circumstances. And then following that interview, we then had an interview with President Oakes a couple of weeks later. President Oakes extended the call for us to serve as mission leaders. He indicated that it would be an English-speaking country and we would find out our assignment towards the end of December, early January. And this was at the end of 2019. So I thought I would try to be a little bit smart and make a list of all of the missions that were being replaced with the mission leaders that were coming up to the end of their three-year service in 2020. Made a big list, started narrowing the list down and and tried to use some level of intelligence to to determine which mission it was. uh, That's not how it works, as you and I know. And it just wasn't coming at all. Well... Before the end of December, President Nelson announced eight new missions, and one of those was Ethiopia at a Sabbath mission. And I thought to myself, wouldn't that be just a remarkable experience? There are 130 new mission leaders being called, so we had a chance of one in 130 being called to Ethiopia. We didn't think too much more of it than that, just that it would be quite a remarkable experience. 
Well, one night I had a dream, and I dreamed that we had received our mission call, and the setting in my dream was in our lounge room at our home in Melbourne, Australia. My wife was seated beside me. She had the iPad in her hand, and we had our children surrounding us. And in the dream, my wife read the mission call and read that we're being called to serve as missionaries in the Ethiopia Addis Ababa mission. And I remember in my dream, I was just absolutely thrilled. I, I couldn't believe that uh, the Lord would trust us to, to serve in Ethiopia and open up the first mission in Ethiopia. But in my dream, I looked across to my wife and she was crying as though she was upset. And that's as much as I remember of that dream. The next morning, I woke her and I said to her, I recalled the dream to her. And then I said to her, if it was Ethiopian, every likelihood it won't be Ethiopian. But if it was, you'd be upset. And to her response, uh, she said that uh, she'd be delighted to, to be serving in Ethiopia. It would be a wonderful experience. Well, that was the dream. A few weeks later, we received the email that comes at 6 o'clock in the morning, Melbourne time. And it says, your mission call has arrived. And so I had to go through the whole day staring at this unanswered email, your mission call has arrived. And I thought to myself during the day, maybe I could sneak a look and maybe I don't. <laughs> maybe I have a look and don't tell anyone. But my conscience got the better of me and I decided not to. And because I'd served as a young missionary many years ago, my wife had not served as a young missionary, and so she would not had the experience of reading out the mission call. So I thought it was only appropriate that she actually read it as we gathered our children around. And sure enough, we gathered the children around that evening and had the opportunity for her to read the call out. And as she read through the call, she said uh, the words, uh, you're hereby called to serve as mission leaders in the new Ethiopia Addis Ababa mission. And I, I remember I was uh, just screaming with elation. I couldn't believe it. But then I thought, well, hold on a sec. My wife can sometimes try to trick me. And uh, maybe she's just making this up. So I had to have a look across to confirm for myself that that's exactly where we've been called. And so that was my first introduction to the notion of being called as mission leaders together in Ethiopia. I'm going to get uh, Sister Dutton just to share a little bit about the circumstance when we arrived in Ethiopia and our missionaries, etc., because it really is quite a unique experience thinking that we are opening up a brand new mission. So because of COVID, we weren't able to get out um, on our due date and we didn't arrive in Ethiopia until August 8th. Um, when we got there, we were met by some of the members and we had no missionaries because of COVID. Those that they were going to send from the Uganda mission to help us start the mission were sent home. And so we didn't have any experience. I should interject there that for the first time, I think in church history that I could think of, we had the most obedient mission in the world because we had zero missions. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, our first lot of missionaries started the MTC not long after we arrived there at the chapel. And so although they were under the care of the district presidency, we still had a hand in getting to meet them and looking at some of the problems and issues that they had. Once they came out of MTC, because they already knew the language, they were only in there for a couple of weeks, and then they began with us. And so we had two days a week of full-day training with them because we became the trainers for these new missionaries. One had served in another mission for six months prior, 
but we spent time through the COVID. So she had a tiny bit of experience, um, but everybody else is brand new. Now, some of our missionaries were pretty new to the church. Some were orphans. Some had only been members for a couple of years. And some had been members just during the COVID time. And we had eight missionaries to start with. I mean, they turned up with their Sunday best and, and bless their hearts, their Sunday best for some was a pair of ripped jeans and one shirt, and that's all they had. Uh, and uh, your heart goes out to them. And so we were able to help get them set up so that they looked and felt uh, and matched the missionary message. Um, so we had them in, in the sisters in uh, nice dresses and the elders in white shirts and ties, and we started our training. I kept thinking back to... President Oates' comment that we're going to be serving in an English-speaking country. So Sister Dudley and I would teach a principle or a, um, a particular lesson out of Preach My Gospel in English. Well, Australian English, that's probably hard to understand compared to natural English, I guess, or American English. But here we are with our broad Australian accent trying to teach a principle to eight missionaries whose English was their second or their third or their fourth or no language. And so we would teach it. It would then get translated from English into Amharic, which was the language of the mission. There were some missionaries who were from the Aroma regions, and so their primary language was Oromitha. And so then the, the message would be translated from English to Amharic to Oromo, and then their response would be Oromo back into Amharic and back to English. And so that was the setting that we found ourselves for the next few weeks helping to train our missionaries and prepare them for missionary service. So there's something to be said for the power, I guess the gift of tongues, not just to be able to communicate in a language that's foreign to the person that's receiving that gift, but more importantly, that the power of the message is carried by the Holy Ghost into the heart to those who you're teaching. And that's how we felt with our missionaries as we would teach them and help them to understand the doctrines of the gospel and to help them to establish their testimony as they got ready to head out uh, and uh, help to build the church in Ethiopia with the first mission. So that's a, a brief summary of our very early start there, Sarah. And, you know, from the very first days of your mission, you're so heavily impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. It delays your start. Um, certainly it delayed your missionary start. And then you both got sick with COVID. Tell us about that experience and how that defined the missionary service for you that came after that? You know, all of these experiences, they, for good or for more challenging, they helped to refine us. I think it was the Elder Anderson at one of the general conferences who said our greatest trials are often our greatest teachers. And so it was at the very start of October, we'd arrived in early August. And so we've been on the ground for a little under two months trying to get things established. We've now got the missionaries in companionships and assigned to branches. And I remember feeling quite ill uh, one day, kind of like a flu bug, uh, and I won't go into all the details, but I certainly wasn't well. And I had uh, the doctor, who happened to be a member of the church from Russia, actually, and it's a story in and of itself. He came to the mission home, and he checked me out and said, look, I don't think it's COVID, but let's get you down to the hospital and get checked out. So we went to get checked out. And sure enough, he rang me the next day, you've got COVID, yours is quite severe, and your wife is asymptomatic. And so uh, come down, let's get an X-ray, chest X-ray, and see what sort of damage is sitting there. 
And so I went down and had the x-rays and it turned out that my lungs were riddled with pneumonia, both viral pneumonia and bacterial pneumonia, and I was hospitalised essentially straight away. And I was in hospital for essentially the full month of October. Most of the time I was on oxygen, it was very difficult to talk. And so uh, Dorit was actually running the mission and uh, dealing with different matters that came up as she told me to steer them. And I'll talk a little bit more about a couple of my COVID experiences in a moment, but perhaps, um, George, you could just share a little bit about, um, I guess, steering these very young missionaries while I'm in hospital. So one of the things that the missionaries were asking is, are they allowed to go out and teach? And that was just so amazing. It was like, of course you could go out and teach. Just do it. And so they went full on finding people and teaching in the process, we were still trying to work out how to do Airbook Planner and use smartphones because most of them didn't know how to use that. And so here I am quarantined at the mission home trying to go over Zoom and teach these people how to use these programs which we had no idea of what they were and so forth. So it was very challenging, but very rewarding as well. We also hadn't started church yet. We were about to start the church going back to meetings together, but with COVID coming in, um, we weren't able to do that. And that eventually got uh, delayed until the, essentially the very last week of December, December the 20th actually, is when we were able to start holding church meetings back in Ethiopia which had been out for about 18 months or thereabouts. I remember lying in hospital feeling pretty sorry for myself at one point in time. I had an issue where my veins would continue to collapse, and so I'd have to have a catheter put in several different places, up through the arms and in through the feet to try to get the, uh, both the fluids and the antibiotics uh, and the medicine in to try to help through that recovery, whilst at the same time being quite high on high doses of oxygen. I remember looking down, it was one Sunday morning, I'd been listening to the, the bells outside and the chanting outside uh, from the Orthodox Church who would pray night and day, and I was listening to that it was one Sunday morning, and I, I looked down at myself and was feeling pretty sorry for myself. My arms were deep blue and uh, and purple with bruises everywhere. My feet were, were, were struggling to cope from the, um, the catheters that had been pulled. And then I, I was drawn to the section of the 122 of the Doctrine and Covenants. And remember that's where Joseph was in Liberty Jail and was talking about some of the challenges that they were facing. And you may recall that uh, section 122 verses, I guess, 5 through to verse 9, the Lord gives some great counsel there. But at the end of verse 7, it says, Maybe my son, that all these things shall be the experience and truth shall be for my good. And then verse 8, The Son of Man hath consented below them all, art now greater than he. You know, I reflected on that and felt very humbled and very, I guess, corrected in my thinking that for a small moment I'm going through somewhat of a trial and a challenge. If I looked at my arms that were bruised and broken and bleeding, and uh, this was nothing compared to what the Savior had gone through. And it gave me such a deeper appreciation of what his atoning sacrifice must have been for me personally. And that was, a, I guess, a turn, quite a very sacred experience that I probably won't share too much more on, but a very sacred experience of gratitude for the atoning sacrifice of the Saviour and how 
what I was going through in some ways was helping to become more understanding of what he's actually done for me personally. Fortunately, I was able to make a full recovery and with some slow residual impact, but nowadays, a year and a bit on, no evidences at all of the experience of having COVID. As challenging as that experience was, I wouldn't change it for a thing because there were lessons, valuable lessons and experiences learned there that I don't think I could have learned in any other way. As far as the doctor goes, we had a call with very, I've got to say, Elder Anderson, who had the supervising responsibility for Ethiopia and for, for parts of Africa at the time. He and Elder Terry Benson from the 70s, the presidency of the 70s, had made a call to us just before I was hospitalised. And uh, they talked to us about the experience that we were going through. They reached out and ministered to our family and, and so grateful for just their, their love and their concern to help us through. So they asked on the phone, is there anyone that could give me a blessing? Because I was about to go into the hospital in quarantine. Therese couldn't go see me at all for those four or five weeks that I was in hospital. And I said to them, look, I'm aware that the, the doctor that referred me as a member of the church is from Russia but he's living in Ethiopia with his wife. I honestly don't know any more than that. I don't know whether he holds the Melchizedek priesthood to give a blessing at all. And so I gave out a bit some of the details, and he came back on the call and said, well, it's interesting, this brother that you mentioned, he was actually the first state president called in St. Petersburg, and he was called by an apostle by the name of Russell M. Nelson, who set him apart as a state president. And so I thought, well, that's pretty good. That's good enough for me. And so the earliest opportunity whilst I was in hospital, I had Dr. Klimash, Brother Klimash, come to give me a blessing as he um, each day came to minister to me while he was on the hospital rounds. And that was just a very tender mercy of being able to have him by my side and to help guide me through both medically but also to assist with um, emotionally and spiritually and overseeing my, my healing process. Well, now, President Dudfield... We met long before your mission because before serving as a mission president, you served as Australia's National Communications Director for the Church and coordinated area efforts for President Nelson's uh, Pacific Ministry Tour. And that was such a sweet opportunity for some of us from the media team here to get to know you then. Certainly, we were so worried about you when you were in the hospital. We prayed for you. But so much of what we knew about you, we learned as we watched you work during that Pacific Ministry Tour. Talk for a minute about what it was like to get to observe and watch President Nelson minister, which included multiple stops throughout the Pacific Islands. It was a great association, both for the church media team in Seattle to be associated with uh, you and Boyd and uh, Sister Sherry Dew and and, uh, the great team that traveled with us. We literally got to follow the prophet, didn't we? And when we see the primary song, Follow the Prophet, this was such a unique experience to be able to follow him from Sydney to Wellington, New Zealand, to Auckland, New Zealand, to Tonga, to Fiji, and to Tahiti. They were such unique and sacred experiences. And as you mentioned, Sarah, one of the things that stood out to me the most was we all know and have become familiar with President Nelson from a public perspective and hearing his talks and his guidance and counseling direction. As we got to listen in each of those countries we visited to, he met with the saints there and, and eventually ministered to the group as he spoke to these groups in these gatherings. It was, a, it was such a sacred experience to be a part of. But 
I met an elder, Brett Natris, who's in the Pacific area presidency at the moment. He and I were on a conference assignment in the 70s at one point. And he taught the principle that often the most powerful sermons are caught, not taught. And as I think about the experience of following President Nelson around, whilst I had the opportunity to listen to his counsel, it was those observations of watching a prophet of God that just reaffirmed to me over and over again that we are led by revelation by a living prophet on the earth today. And let me just share a couple of personal experiences. The first one that comes to mind for me was where Sister Sherry Dew was organizing in Tahiti to do an interview with Sister Nelson in the afternoon before uh, one of the, the meetings. And I remember vividly Sister Jew had said to Sister Nelson, tell us how President Nelson feels about you coming out to meet with the, the church media and to, to do this interview. She said, as I left, President Nelson was on his knees praying for me. And I just picture the prophet of God praying for his sweet companion as she was about to, to share experiences with the media. Another one that stands out to me is in each of these cities and these countries that we gathered, President Nelson was very much about ministering to the one. And even with the tight schedule that he had, he would take time out to meet with, meet with the brothers to provide them counsel and uh, to just embrace them. Some of them been through some really challenging times. But for me, as I watched him, I saw the Savior in action ministering to the one. I loved watching President Nelson's optimism. Regardless of the circumstances, there was tremendous optimism for the future, that the future is right. I remember in Tahiti, he was saying to the group, he gave them counsel, beware because there are troubling times ahead. And he gave some fabulous, optimistic counsel about how to move forward and prepare for challenges that are ahead. Now, I had no idea what challenges would be lying ahead, but now we fast forward to the start of 2022. And this council was given in 2019, and we've seen some of the challenges that the country, countries have had, the world has, but also the great counsel and optimism that continues to come through from the prophet of God. I watched him with Sister Nelson, who would walk by her side. He wouldn't walk in front of her, behind her, but he walked by her side, and they'd be arm in arm together. Just as you would, you would uh, a good picture what it means to be a helpmeet to each other, to be equal companions together. And I felt, as I observed, that Sister Nelson was very much President Nelson's equal as they ministered together on this assignment. And the other thing that I noticed with Elder and Sister Gong, who were traveling with them on assignment, for me, it was very clear to watch Elder and Sister Gong, regardless of their accomplishments and their sacred call, and particularly to Elder Gong, who was one of the twelve, but he did everything he can to elevate the role of the prophet, the keys of the prophet of God, and to be able to provide that support rather than any agenda or any feelings or any counsel he might choose to give of his own. And so that was just a great learning experience to watch and to catch these great sermons from these great leaders, just as much as being able to hear from them. And so that was just a very sacred experience that I'll forever cherish as having the privilege of being able to, to be a part of it in some small way. Well, you know, when I think of President Nelson's ministry tours, I think of the temple. He often talks about the covenant path. He talks about temples. He often visits temple cities and speaks to members about attending the temple and connecting with the temple. In many stops, he announces temples for cities. Now, the two of you had a sweet experience, which Scott Taylor of the Church News reminded me about earlier today, 
And it was you had the opportunity to take some of your new missionaries from Ethiopia to the temple. I'd love if you could talk about that and how that happened and why that was so important to all of you. So unfortunately, they wouldn't let us actually go to the temple, but we did all the groundwork with that. So our Ethiopian missionary, because of COVID, had to do MTC from home, and Ethiopia doesn't have a temple. So they weren't able to go to the temple before they actually began their mission. So once we got going and we were able to start preparations for them to go to the Ghana temple, we had a couple of our missionaries who had been to the temple prior with their families. And so they were able to do temple prep classes with them and prepare them to go. We had one of the district presidency members escort and also one of the sisters of one of the missionaries, who was a return missionary, go with them to the Ghana temple. Now, because of the language issues, we were quite concerned that they weren't going to understand a lot of what goes on in the temple. But because it was at the Ghana temple, the MTC teachers were able to come through and read the endowment session for them so that they could actually hear the endowment in their own words, in their own language, in their hearts. So it was a great lesson. And through that trip as well, they were able to get a patriarchal blessing. When you're in a state, you take it for granted that you have a patriarch. When you're in a country that does not have a state, you don't get a patriarch. And so many of these Ethiopian people don't have patriarchal blessings. And so this is a great blessing for them to actually receive those blessings. Further down the track, we were able to organize another temple trip for more missionaries that came through that hadn't been to the temple yet as well. And that was a great blessing as they headed to the temple and were able to experience the joy of walking the covenant path and making new covenants and taking out ordinances as they attended the temple. I remember, Sarah, there was a, a group of sisters that we sent uh, over there with our second group. Uh, some were Ethiopian and some were from other parts of Africa. And as uh, Sister David had mentioned, the, the temple preparation classes had taken place. And we had met with them prior to taking them to the airport the next day to receive their endowments and patriarchal blessings. And then we had the opportunity to be able to meet with them, uh, collect them from the airport when they returned, and then have them at the mission home for the night and have a devotion together. For both groups as they returned, you, you just couldn't picture the smiles that were on their faces from ear to ear. There was such a buzz and excitement. They were just so thrilled to be able to go to the house of the Lord, to make sacred covenants and to experience the love that the Saviour had for them as they participated. And some of these experiences that we had with these missionaries that have gone to the temple for the first time will be some of the richest experiences I don't think we'll ever forget. One of my favorite stories in church history is of early Latter-day Saints going through the temple in Nauvoo before they would head west and experience often a difficult trek. And I think that is something that's sort of symbolic of your experience. You know, you have all of these missionaries who are endowed, and then things really haven't been as easy as you might have hoped. Currently, you've temporarily moved the missionaries and yourself out of Ethiopia. Can you give us a little background on that? 
Yes, you're right. It's, it's an interesting time. The first 18 months is perhaps um, uh, not what we've anticipated, but they actually have delivered much more than we could ever have, uh, have thought. And it's just been a tremendous learning experience. And so in uh, the start of November, some civil unrest that continues to escalate in Ethiopia. Where we've got, we had 60, 67 missionaries, I think it was, or around that number. But the perception, I guess, from a, as someone who's not as, uh, a Latter-day Saint faith, not members of the church, would see that the church recruits all these missionaries. They have the financial responsibility for them. They pay their way. The missionaries are, are paid to do a job. As we know, it's clearly very different to that. You know, what we have is 67 volunteers who's, who have been saving up uh, their money and have family and support that have provided for them to serve as volunteers in the mission field, and in this case, in Ethiopia. As civil unrest continued to escalate, you can imagine the concerns, both of some of the missionaries but also of their families, that are putting these volunteers into an environment, uh, and they want to make sure that their missionaries are safe. And so... As things escalated, the decision to relocate the missionaries out of the Ethiopia mission to Kenya for a period of time was not something that was taken lightly. And so it actually went to the first presidency in the corner of the 12. And President Nelson uh, sought for a vote from the, all of the first presidency in the 12 as to whether it was appropriate to relocate the missionaries, which we weren't aware of that that was the case when we received the call. But to know that the prophet of God and the first presidency in the 12, all prophecies and revelators, have unanimously felt that it was time to relocate the missionaries for a season, that uh, we certainly supported that and, uh, and put things into action. Now, just think about the logistics for a moment. I know that, that so your daughter is in the mission field, and I can imagine late night before you're packing bags with her and trying to make sure that they correct weight. Well, now fast, uh, escalate that number to 67 missionaries of <laughs> making sure that they've got the bags at the right weight. They've got, they're taking the things that they need. They've got all of the COVID tests done. They've got all of the visas in place. All of the passports are found. Uh, logistics of getting them to the airport and checked in and then through immigration and et cetera, et cetera. It was just a miracle after miracle of things unfolding. In the current environment, to have 67 all turned clear with, with negative COVID tests, that was a miracle in and of itself. To get us all on the same plane together was another miracle. We couldn't find one of the passports. You know, all day we hunted for a passport for one of our elders. And it wasn't until after we'd all gathered together and prayed and then and looked again that someone actually found the passport in a location that we had looked several times, but uh, that couldn't locate it. And so we relocated to Kenya for a season. And we don't know how long that period is, but uh, we're having some remarkable experiences here in Kenya as we continue to operate at the Ethiopia Addis Ababa mission, just located in a different location for a period of time. Well, Sister Dudfield, tell me how your missionaries are doing. That had to be stressful for them. Yes, it can be stressful, keeping them occupied and keeping them motivated to continue to fulfill their purpose as missionaries. But we're finding that there are a number of them that are stepping up, that they will come away and say, I had four lessons today, which is just absolutely amazing. Sometimes the challenges are that when they try to reach out to people in Ethiopia, people don't answer their phone all the time. Uh, Not many have smartphones. 
and they certainly don't have the money to have the usage of a lot of internet. So it does make it challenging. But our missionaries are putting in the extra work and we're trying to keep them motivated so that they stay focused on that task. The ones that struggle a little bit are the ones that are not putting their purpose first. And sometimes it does get hard where they want to wallow in their self-pity for a little bit. But then when they realise that they can succeed, they actually make it a target. One day we had a a goal to get 50 lessons and some of them did not believe that that could be possible. At the end of the day, there were 79 lessons achieved. So they can do it and they're overcoming the challenges that they face. You know, sir, it's, uh, we often hear about the miracle comes after the trauma of our faith. And so and there are so many valuable lessons that our missionaries are learning here and just responding beautifully to it. Is that they're actually seeing the miracles occur. They're finding that they've been uh, reaching out to those who haven't been active for a period of time. They're connecting again, people who are attending church that haven't been for years. They've been getting referrals, they've been able to teach, and we're now seeing baptisms occurring in India with no missionaries there. And that's an absolute credit to our local leaders and our local members in Ethiopia that continue to carry the work of the Lord fully, even in the absence of the face to face presence of full time missionaries. And so there are remarkable experiences that we're having here that they would never have had had we not relocated for this period of time. And I know that even through some of the more challenging times, as these missionaries look back in the years to come, they will see some tremendous growth, some tremendous learnings, and some tremendous experiences that they will treasure for the rest of their lives. Well, it's certainly true that you cannot stop the work of the Lord from moving forward. Tell us about the members in Ethiopia. Uh, You mentioned that when you started your mission, there was not a stake. What does the church look like right now in Ethiopia? So there's around 2,000 members of the church in Ethiopia. When we first arrived there, our first sacrament meeting on the 20th of December 2020, we had 85 people in total around four branches of the church. There were four, four branches. And so just before we were relocated for a season, we had the sacrament attendance of just shy of 400 that were attending. The focus of the local leaders there, and you've got people of tremendous faith and testimony and commitment, is that they're growing the church both through reactivation, through continuing to help people progress along the covenant path and new converts as well. The goal is always to be able to help the country become temple-ready, and so the next step is to be able to strengthen families through ordinances and covenants. It helps to strengthen communities and it strengthens the nation. And so as we're strengthening families, we're actually being able to expand the church so that we've got more branches being created and groups being created as we work towards creating the first stake. And so that's the, the short-term goal is to be able to strengthen the church so that we can have a stake in Ethiopia. And once there's a stake established, the church will continue to, to grow from there as we get ready for a temple in Ethiopia. And with no doubt that at some point in time, the prophet of God will announce a temple for Ethiopia. And for now, what we're doing is we're laying the foundation, as the scriptures say, laying the foundation of the great work. And the, the local leaders, the local members are responding beautifully there. I think when most of us here in the United States think about Ethiopia, 
our thoughts return to the 80s when they were in the news so much um, and have continued to be throughout the decades that have followed because of drought. Tell us what it is like to live in Ethiopia today. I want to touch on the rich cultural history, the religious history of Ethiopia. There are very, very religious people. Two-thirds of the country are Christian, one-third are Muslim, and there is a deep faith in God or a higher supreme being that is unique, uh, I think, to this country compared to how I can reflect it to Australia, our, our experience in Australia. Our badges in Amharic say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And people will come up to us regularly, they'll see our badges, and they will thank us for coming to their country to be able to help to teach about Jesus Christ. Now, that would never happen in Melbourne, Australia. But certainly in Ethiopia, it happens all the time. And so you've got such a beautiful foundation of people of faith and courage and commitment. And it's just a beautiful foundation to build upon as we, we bring what's great from what they have learned in the past and bring the additional doctrine that the church teaches that helps them to understand the purpose of life and the plan of salvation and Heavenly Father's plan of happiness and how families can be together forever. And so those messages resonate so beautifully with the, the people of Ethiopia who are very family-oriented and very faith-focused. As far as living in Ethiopia, well, it's a little different to Melbourne, Australia, or for, from Provo, Utah, but I'll, I'll let this introduction to you a little bit about the, the reality of living on the ground. So when we arrived in Ethiopia, we were very surprised to see high-rise buildings being springing up the industrious work of the people, that many people were eager to work and so forth. COVID put a little bit of a stop to that. It was known as one of the fastest growing countries in Africa, and COVID sort of made that go backwards a bit, and now the war has definitely brought down their standing a bit. But the roads are in the city area. They're not too bad as you go out to the country areas full of potholes and so forth. And you certainly see a difference between rural and city as well. There are a lot of unemployed and you do see beggars on the street. Ethiopia has a lot of refugees coming in there from Sudan, from Somalia, from many areas around. And also it's a transient area where people are coming into Africa through Ethiopia. So you have a lot of nations coming and going through there. Going to shops is a very interesting thing because you cannot always find what you want to find. And things that we're used to getting, you just can't get in Ethiopia. They have a lot of smaller shops called soup, and that's where the missionaries would buy their um, local things, cook with and we went to one place, and I, again, I'll get Sister Guthrie to share a bit about the experience. But we took the senior couple to an outing one day, and we saw a place that was about an hour outside of the capital, Addis Ababa, where there was actually a, a rock church that was built from the ground down. And so we had an opportunity to walk through those, and it was fascinating to be able to experience being in one of the a, a rock churches that had been there for centuries, I guess but particularly about the framework of how they set it up with different rooms. As you go down to the entrance of this rock church, the men go down one side and the women go down the other, down these steps. 
And as you enter into this church, you come into a common area where you both sit together, uh, waiting to progress into the next room. They have three rooms within the church. The last room being the Holy of Holies, just like it is in the tabernacle with Moses, that only the priests can go in there. It's not for the common people. But people will come down and will only go to certain parts of this room to worship and to gain instruction from the priests. Along the side of the, the church, they have these windows, each one representing the apostles. And a lot of symbolism between the Old Testament and the New Testament and in our church, there's a lot of similarities of the things that they believe in, keeping back um, many generations to the early church. One of the things I would have as well, where, where uh, Sister Douglas spoke about uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but the missionaries from Ethiopia have such a great knowledge of the Old Testament and New Testament is they're teaching people in Ethiopia. They will start with a common scripture of teaching from the Old Testament, then progressing to the New Testament, then introducing the Savior in their teaching, and then progress to the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. And uh, to watch them do that so beautifully, working through the standard works to be able to testify of Christ, to magnify their purpose, is something that I've got to say that we're quite envious of. For us as Australians that have perhaps taken the Old Testament and New Testament for granted as we did seminary, to be able to see them deeply committed to being able to use all of the scriptures in testifying of Christ and inviting people to come under Christ. Wow. If you had one moment in your mission that became anecdotal or symbolic of what your mission has meant to you, I would love for each of you to share one of those. What would that moment be? I think for me, I would bring it back to my experience in the hospital with the COVID, thinking about why has the Lord called me here to Ethiopia? Why has he taken my wife uh, with me here to serve in Ethiopia and then for me to lie in a hospital bed and potentially die? At one point, I actually said to my wife, I think I need to start writing letters to our children, our five children back home and some of those that are married with uh, the children themselves. Uh, because I thought that perhaps this is how it was going to end and it just didn't seem right. And we know others that have not been as fortunate to make a recovery. And so I'm very sensitive to this. But I think about back in the section of 123 of the Doctrine of Covenants, it said, Therefore, dearly beloved brethren, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power. And then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for his arm to be revealed. For me, knowing that there was a purpose for us to be here, to be able to push through some of the challenges as early as it was in our mission field, and to be able to embrace every opportunity as a learning opportunity and to submit cheerfully, I think for me has captured the approach that we've taken over these last 18 months. We could either continue to ask ourselves, why me, or why this, or why are we going through such experiences, or why does it have to be the case? Or we could take the different approach. What lesson would the Lord have to learn through this experience? And taking that approach has just unfolded miracle after miracle, experience after experience, lesson after lesson, that has helped to refine, refine us and help us to become closer to the Savior as we represent Him in, in His great work here. And so I think that's what would capture for me the experience that we've had so far during our missionary service here for the first 18 months. 
So for me, all the work that was put in to build Ethiopia and then be taken out to come to Kenya, as we look back and see that the leaders back in Ethiopia step up and actually... So for me, when I think about why did the Lord pick us up and plonk us here in Kenya when we were doing such a great work in Ethiopia, as we look back, we see that we had done enough to sustain the leaders back there so that they could continue the work. We've watched one branch president who has just stepped up so much. He's only been a member for a very short time. He was able to go to the temple not long ago with his wife and his young child and be still together. Now, he has just grown so much in his calling. I mean, he's got to the point where he's with the brand-new Aaronic Priesthood members. He's holding Aaronic Priesthood class with them and teaching them their roles as priesthood leaders so that he prepares them for the Melchizedek Priesthood. He has one of the new members as the branch mission leader who has stepped up and is leading the charge of continuing to do the missionary work there. They are there pretty much every day helping the missionaries who are teaching online and they are helping to support and and run the missionary work. It's just amazing to see that branch just grow so much with confidence and leadership. But if we were still there, they wouldn't have stepped up and this has been a great chance for them to actually take that lead. Let me just share one of the tender mercies that we've discovered here in Kenya. We found in Kenya, here in Nairobi, there are three large pockets of Ethiopian communities, thousands upon thousands of Ethiopians. And as we're working through getting work permits ready, there will be an opportunity for our missionaries to be able to go out to these Ethiopian communities, to be able to share with them the gospel in Amharic or in Oromo, and to be able to connect with them in a way perhaps they've not connected before. And so we would not have had that experience had we not been here in Kenya and be able to reach out both to the Ethiopian people here in Kenya, but also to be able to connect with their families back in Ethiopia. And so, again, it's just one of those tender mercies that have come from a situation that we weren't expecting, but welcome with, uh, with greater excitement. One of the challenges that we face is that the handbook of instructions, the, the general handbook is not in Amharic. And so to help these local leaders with uh, different sections and then have them translated to help them better understand their duties and responsibilities, to help a Relief Society president understand what it actually means to be a Relief Society president, to help uh, an Elders Corps president understand what priesthood keys are and to, to how to use those keys to minister to and to bless those who are in his quorum. And, and the list goes on. And so there's been many tender mercies to be able to help to, to strengthen relationships and to strengthen church leaders with the right tools uh, as we um, uh, help to build the church. Now, one of the other charges we were given as we were to come here to to not just be a service, but to be um, a voice and a seat at the table when it comes to interfaith relationships, dealing with those of other faiths, and also to be able to build strong government relationships as well. We have some tremendous friends now that we've made that are either leaders in other faiths or 
heavily involved in different government portfolios, and we treated them as the dear friends with the experiences that we've had. But it's provided an opportunity for the church to, for want of a better phrase, to come out of obscurity, to be able to be more known for who we are and, and who we represent, and what we can bring to the table to be able to help to strengthen families, to support education, to help from humanitarian perspective, and to be able to assist in, in any way we can in freedom of religion or belief, or to be able to support those that are less fortunate than ourselves and to be a part of that in, in one way, shape or form. So that's just been a, a tremendous experience. I'll, I'll just share one experience, Sarah. Elder Joseph Sakadi, who's the area president here, he and I, he came to visit in Ethiopia for a few days and we set up some meetings to visit a number of faith and government leaders and that was just a, a great experience to be able to have him as, a, as an African, a local Kenyan uh, member and, and senior church leader to be able to be part of the visit with us. We went to visit the Catholic Church and to visit with the Ethiopian Cardinal and what a delightful man he was. And we spoke together. He, he thought that perhaps... Um, we were both from the United States, but you could tell that Elder Society was, was from Kenya, not from, from the United States. But once I mentioned that I was from Australia, and he asked whereabouts in Australia, I mentioned that I was from Tasmania originally. I grew up in Tasmania. And for those that may be listening, Tasmania is a small island state at the bottom of the mainland of Australia. And most will think of Tasmania with the Looney Tunes cartoon, the Tasmanian Devil. Once he found out I was from Tasmania, he roared with laughter, saying that this is the first time he'd ever let the devil into the cathedral in Ethiopia. And what a delightful friendship that has turned out to be. And he's just a great support and a great man of faith and a great friend as well. And that, that symbolizes some of the relationships we've been able to form with the Inclusion Council, with other faith groups, and also with other groups that support and promote uh, many of the values that we support in the church. Well, President and Sister Dudfield, we're so grateful for your faith and your commitment and your service and your friendship. We pray for you. We certainly pray for your family back in Australia. As we close this podcast, I'm hoping that you can answer the same question we have all of our guests answer and share something that you know now after serving in the Church's Ethiopia mission and leading that effort. Well, for me, what I know now is that the Lord's in control and that he guides us constantly. We see so many miracles and we are so grateful for that. We feel the prayers being answered on our behalf through our whole time. Every time we have a challenge pop up, we feel the prayers being offered for us and we feel that the Lord is on our side and guiding us through this whole process. And I'm so grateful for that knowledge and to know that the Saviour cares about all of us and particularly us in general. I think for me, Sarah, it would be very much about, uh, we've been associated with mission leaders over the years that never really experienced it ourselves until we're actually on the ground here. And I think for us, it's been willing to be as flexible as needed to be, to be able to be accommodating as needed to be, because this is his work, this is not our work. We don't have our own agendas, our own initiatives. And if we allow ourselves to be moulded and to be moved and to be refined to experiences, we found that just tremendous blessings. And so flexibility would be certainly one of the things that stands out for me. 
I think the second thing for me would be just never underestimating just the, the remarkable uh, young men and young women that are out serving missions, particularly at this time in the world, the current environment. We have some of the most remarkable young men and young women, and it's just a privilege to serve, not just with them, but to be able to learn from them each day. And yes, they're young people, and yes, they're inexperienced, but boy, if they've got a powerful testimony, and their example is just a, a great shining light for us as well. I think the third thing I would say is that in line with President Nelson's great optimism, that, that is something that we've fostered in our service here. It's always to look for the lessons that are learned. In the last conference, this is what President Nelson said. He said, the pandemic has demonstrated how quickly life can change at times from circumstances beyond our control. And certainly we would be living that for the last 18 months here uh, in the Ethiopian mission now in Kenya. Then he says this, however, there are many things we can control. We set our own priorities and determine how we use our energy, time and means. We decide how we will treat each other. We choose those for whom we will turn for truth and guidance. That's the great optimism of the prophet of God, and we, we seek to follow his counsel as we decide how we treat each other and whom we choose to uh, turn for truth and guidance. And there's no question in our mind that as we turn to the Saviour whose work is his, that as we align ourselves with prophets and apostles, and as we give our best foot forward as fully covenanted and all in, in this call, that we see the Lord's hand guiding us continually. And it's just been such a tremendous blessing and a privilege to be able to be uh, serving here and witness in small part the great and powerful work of the Lord that continues to move forward in spite of any of the restrictions that we might be facing. You have been listening to the Church News Podcast. I'm your host, Church News Editor Sarah Jane Weaver. I hope you have learned something today about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints by peering with me through the Church News window. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast. And if you enjoyed the messages we shared today, please make sure you share the podcast with others. Thanks to our guests, to my producer, Kellyanne Halverson, and others who make this podcast possible. Join us every week for a new episode. Find us on your favorite podcasting channel or with other news and updates about the church on thechurchnews.com.